0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 221 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading a very short chapter today, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and our focus is on some big questions. Is there only one God? Does the Bible teach that there are many gods, plus the dangers of too much knowledge? Well, it's a short chapter today, but a lot to talk about, so let me just point you to our website. Bible2021.com. That's a great way to share the show on social media with your friends and neighbors and to subscribe and check out show notes, including a link to this article uh, that we're about to talk about if you want to look up any of the verses or quotes I'm going to use. As far as I can remember, 1 Corinthians 8 is the shortest chapter we've done a whole episode on. It is mainly focused on whether or not to eat food that has been first sacrificed to idols, which Honestly, that's no longer a very prevalent issue in most cultures around the world. But that doesn't mean our chapter today is irrelevant to Christian life in the 2020s. In fact, there are two really big issues raised here that are very important. One is theological. Is there only one God, or are there several gods? And the answer to that question might be a little surprising to people. The other issue is a spiritual issue with a lot of practical application. Can too much knowledge, I mean, talking about knowledge of the Bible, can that be a bad thing? Well, let's start with that second question first. Can knowledge of God's word be bad? And the answer, surprisingly enough, is Kind of complicated. Consider what Paul says here in First Corinthians eight one: Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, this is interesting. Knowledge can have the ability to make one prideful and puffy. Consider the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were extremely knowledgeable about God's word and they taught it to others. And yet that knowledge availed them little. They were literally enemies of Jesus. Just today in church at uh, Valley Baptist in Salinas, I preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. That parable was told by Jesus in response to a question asked by an expert in the law. Now in our day... We might hear that phrase and think an expert in the law is a lawyer or an attorney, somebody who understands complicated civic and criminal codes and is able to parse through them. But in Jesus's day, this was a person with great knowledge of the Old Testament commands, a person with great knowledge about the things of God. And this knowledge was not at all beneficial for the expert in the law. He was eaten up with pride and puffed up. Now, does that mean that Knowledge of God's word is dangerous that we shouldn't study to show ourselves approved? Of course, it does not. The warning is not so much in knowing God's word, but in trusting in our knowledge and being prideful in our knowledge, as the second verse of our chapter reveals. First Corinthians 8.2 says, If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. Sort of like if you think you've arrived in terms of understanding God's word, uh, you're far away from arriving. Knowledge without humility will lead to pride, and pride always leads to a collapse, a downfall. Sometimes that downfall is going to be obvious and catastrophic, and sometimes it's going to be more subtle, as is the case with our expert in the law in Luke 10. Jesus, God in the flesh, was staring him in the face, the creator of the world and the writer of the law that this man was an expert in. And rather than he throwing down everything and following Jesus with all his his heart, the expert in the law instead tried to trap Jesus, foil Jesus, challenge Jesus, and prove his superiority over Jesus. So that's uh, pretty damaging. Further, knowledge without love will lead to a similar or worse catastrophe, as we will see in a few days when we read First Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 3 says this, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. There's nothing to be gained from a high level of knowledge that is not accompanied by love. A knowledgeable person who is not a loving person is a nothing, says Paul. Such knowledge may impress some humans, but to God it amounts to zero. Well, next topic. It's a theological topic, and the answer seems quite obvious. Is there only one God? Well, the Bible seems to say that in various places, but in other places, we see something that might be construed as different. Are we dealing with a contradiction I don't think so, but consider these passages. For instance, Psalm 82, 1 through 7. God stands in the divine assembly. He pronouncement he pronounces judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in dark. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Well, twice there, it seems like God is addressing another group of gods. Psalm 82, 1-7. through 7, For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. Psalm 96, 4. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises? Exodus fifteen eleven through twelve, Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. Psalm eighty six eight, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God. Deuteronomy ten seventeen, for the Lord is great and highly praised; he is feared above all gods. Or how about Psalm ninety seven seven, all who serve carved images. Those who boast in worthless idols will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Now think about that and think about some of these passages. All the use of the word gods, the plural use, like all the gods must worship him. That's a strange thing to say if there aren't other gods. He is feared above all gods. Again, a very strange thing to say if there are no other gods. And what's happening here is the Hebrew word being translated as gods is the word Elohim, which can be translated as God with a little g or God with a big g, but it can also refer to demons, angels, and other heavenly beings, and is even once used of Samuel raised from the dead by the witch of Endor in First Samuel 28. Now, does any of that mean that there is more than one God? Well, here's what Paul says in today's chapter, verses 4 through 6, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. Ah. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, all things are from him and we exist for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, all things are through him and we exist through him. So, I don't know that that clears it up, does it? It's almost like Paul is being a little ambiguous here. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, he says, yet for us, there is one God. Now, that sentence certainly seems to leave open quite a few possibilities that there are other heavenly beings that claim to be gods or are worshipped as gods. But the key part is verse 6, there is one God for us. And that's the overall teaching of the Bible, that there are many heavenly beings. Some are angels, some demons, some appear to be something akin to minor deities or something like that. But there is, practically speaking, one God, with a capital G, one God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. As noted, Old Testament and Hebrew scholar Dr. Michael Heiser notes, The biblical writers refer to a half dozen different entities in the Bible with the word Elohim. By any religious accounting, the attributes of those entities are not equal. The importance of this list can be summarized with one question. Would any Israelite, especially a biblical writer, really believe that the deceased human dead and demons and angels or other heavenly beings are on the same level as Yahweh? No. The usage of the term Elohim by biblical writers tells us very clearly that the term is not about a set of attributes. Even though when we see the words G-O-D, we think of a unique set of attributes, when a biblical writer used the word Elohim, he wasn't thinking the same way. If he were, he would never have used the term Elohim to describe anything but Yahweh. So my conclusion is this, friends. When taking into account our modern vocabulary and the use of the word God, there is one God. But also, what the Bible seems to be teaching us, Old Testament and New, that there are many heavenly beings, and I'm not just talking about angels and demons, but other heavenly beings, beings that might be thought of as minor deities, but do not rise to the level of what we think of when the word God is used, and probably other heavenly beings that we're just honestly ignorant of. Lots of heavenly beings seem to be portrayed in the Bible, but... Only one God, Yahweh, the triune God of the Bible. Well, that's my conclusion. I'd love to hear from you. The way to get in touch with us with your comments and questions is Bible2021.com. And there's a contact page there. Say it again, Bible2021.com. Let's read our chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him, And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Well, amen. Let's close with another part of 1 Corinthians 13. It's verses 4 through 6, which is our verses of the month for memorization. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Well, may the love of Christ dwell richly in your heart and be manifested in your life. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.